and welcome to another episode of Free Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about what they do to try to make their games the best they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony, and as always, Dave. Dave, Dave. all three of us. So this has been uh, quite an adventure for us. I mean, and and it's been a good time. Thank you all for for your support of the show. Check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, and on our website, threewisedms.com, for additional content. In addition, please drop us a line at threewisedms at gmail.com or through any of the social channels. Let us know what kinds of things we can cover to help you play great games. Now, tonight, I mentioned where we've been on this adventure, because tonight we're going to talk about adventures. And this is a topic that, that Tony was bringing up. Recently, we've talked about campaign pacing. We've talked about fight pacing, about encounter building. So tonight, we're going to talk about what is maybe the the, the classic, the thing you really think of as the core of any role-playing game, which is the adventure. How do you DM, how do you build, DM, and run great adventures? Or at least adventures as good as the three wise DMs can, can make, because we all know the wise and three wise DMs is tongue firmly in cheek. We, we, we uh, may be just uh, telling you about the things we've done wrong. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> but it'll be honest though. Oh boy, will it be? So and I think that where we're going to start here is the conversation we were having in the pre-call was what exactly is an adventure? Cause like Tony threw this out to us and it's a good idea, but the me and Dave both had both asked him the same question. Like, what do you mean by an adventure? Do you mean like a single session? Do you mean a campaign? What does what forms an adventure in your mind? And I don't know how many of us really think about that. I know I don't think enough about it. So, Tony, why don't you tell us, what do you mean by an adventure? I'm thinking it's several sessions, like three to six, and it could be a part of your campaign. It's not direct in line. It may or may, or may not be direct in line with your core plot. But this is this is kind of like a B to C point in your story. I think I mean like back in the day, Dungeon Magazine would supply you with a really simple module you could run yeah. out real quick to the point one two sessions, or you'd play something like Nightmare Keep. You wrap up in maybe four to five sessions, or if you're doing Bloodstone, well that's that could be <laughs> six. That could be a whole thing. But I think classic elements still apply in there, where you want to hook your players early on keep them hungry during it um have the satisfying ending like the climatic finish but then have a really strong prologue too where they have a sense of accomplishment and if you don't feel this the adventure is really hooking your players properly i would advise make it personal to their character goals Mm -hmm. i'm a big fan of coming at the players i remember one time i was in I want to say it was against the Giants, like back in the day in 5e. And yes. the, D- the DM randomly inserted one of my, uh, my char- actually my character nemesis made an appearance in this. And uh, like he was dropping clues. I'm like, no, no. And then he was there. I'm like, ah, <laughs> no. But that, that's how you wrap them. And it becomes super memorable. So I guess, yeah, when we think about what is an adventure, it's really like kind of what is like a, what you used to think of as a module, although these days with the hardback modules, modules have almost become something bigger, right? I mean, against the giants is more like almost like a setting than it is an adventure. But an adventure is like, you know, like I said, the old kind of the, the old 
modules you used to get from TSR, where it's okay. Yeah. Here is you know the keep on the Borderlands, or here is you know he, here is the mine, you know, like the mines of Fandelver. You know, you maybe get through that, and a little maybe it takes you a little longer than it takes you longer than a session to get through all those, maybe. But you know, doing it is one self-contained adventure. Maybe there's a level in there. Maybe there's a couple levels, but it's not the whole campaign. It's like you. We were talking before we got in this. Is like it's it's almost like a single movie. Although Dave, Dave would disagree. Dave, Dave, Dave would say some movies are multiple adventures. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, a perfect example. And actually, like Lost Minds of Fandelver um, is built as like that intro starter thing to actually yeah. take you, if you want, from first to fifth level. Yeah. But as we've talked about previously with the milestone leveling that they do with any, they do it in Fandelver 2, you would probably do it in five to six sessions generally because you're probably leveling once a yeah. session, depending on how much you're getting through, right? But yeah, I was making the point, like if we think about it, like, you know, like Thorin, you were saying there's like that large campaign arc, and that's kind of the way you are, are focused on. You're focused on the big story, the large, what's happening in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, if we think about like the different tiers of play from first to 20th, and we take Lord of the Rings, right? And we say the fellowship, is like the first tier, let's say, because there's multiple adventures through all of that. There's from they leave Hobbiton and the Shire, they get they have to get to Bree and the end of the Prancing Pony, they meet Aragorn, they run from the Nazgul. They've already run from the Nazgul once previously when they left the right. Yeah. Uh, maybe Tom Bombadil's in there because, you know, could Peter Jackson just reshoot it so we could get Tom Bombadil in there or something? <laughs> Whatever. But that's several adventures. That takes you through that movie. And then The Two Towers, same thing. And then Return of the King, same thing. And then you have that trilogy being the whole campaign, as it were. But you have multiple adventures in there, depending on what are we calling an adventure, right? Yeah. And I think it comes, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that. And, and you're right. Like a movie like that is multiple, maybe multiple adventures within it. But I'm thinking Die Hard. To me, Die Hard's one adventure. Yeah, you know? no, that's definitely no, not a campaign. That's a one night in hell, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost but you have any... to be able to pull up an Alan Rickman voice if you want to be running Die Hard. That's all I'm saying. So, like, I think, oh, I think a Predator or Aliens, That's one, they're each one adventure, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah absolutely. You think, like, like, your typical kind of... Kind of I think if you think in terms of, like, your typical kind of action movie or even a heist movie, although heist is maybe a thing. Nah, most heists I've done in D&D. Or, or a single book, right? Or yeah. maybe not, maybe a book. But, like, if you yeah. think, like the, the, like, the Dresden Files, right? One each book from the Dresden. Yeah. is 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 more like what Tony's saying. It's more like a three- to six-night adventure. Yeah. You know, but it's encapsulated within this one story, this one idea that fits into the whole arc of the campaign. I mean, any one Conan story, any one H.P. Lovecraft story is probably one adventure. You know, they're not they're not usually full campaigns, even like out the mountains of madness, I would think of as probably being one adventure. Conan the Barbarian, the movie, one adventure to me, like something like in that kind of it's got a it's got a satisfying beginning, middle and end. You got to explore some stuff. You got to solve some problems. You got to overcome some challenges. And yeah. in the end, you beat the bad guy and you move on to the next thing yeah. in your character's life. Yeah. And that's exactly what Tony was saying with the early modules, too. Right. They're kind of each a Conan movie. They're literally a sword mm -hmm. and sorcery film. Right, Tony? I was actually thinking in terms, I mean, of as far as progression goes, I, I do like the movie concept uh but like for example for something that has a full arc like dragon ball z had a full series but it had movies and each mm. one of those movies was 
an independent adventure, but there was definitely still the core story progression. One of the things I do like about modules is it really doesn't leave you room for filler. Like, there's just no fluff in there. Like, if you're doing the Queen of the Demon Web Pits, you guys are going to go off and do a barbecue. Now, it's just for your campaign. Maybe that's nice, but not here. Yeah. <laughs> the Lost Shrine of Temuchin, you're probably just, you're in the, the shrine, you know. But uh, here we go, because, uh, Thorin, you're finally catching up with it, thank God. Uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender is the perfect idea. You have your book one, two, three, right? As he's learning the overall story, but every single episode, they're getting into some episodic hijinks. Yeah. And then certain ones tie into the overall story, but each one of those is an adventure, right? They save this town from the, the spirit beast that's coming from the forest, or they have to run from uh, this per this certain villain or something like that. You know what's funny? Because I would almost think in those terms, Avatar feels like each episode feels like one session. And then I almost feel like the first season was one adventure, right? It's his adventure in trying to stop the Fire Kingdom from crushing the Water Kingdom in the at the North Pole. Well, yeah, it's him learning waterbending, right? Because he's yeah. mastering each element as we go forward. But so, yeah, but that's 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 first to fifth level at least. Right. I mean, it's, it's almost like it feels almost like you could say, you know, if you think of your favorite TV shows, you know, I think of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, which is like, you know, it's like five seasons. Each season's probably one to two adventures, depending on how you consider the little bad in the middle of that kind of the midseason climax. And then the whole thing they all together is their whole campaign. Um, right. Yeah, I'd probably think, break it down that way. I mean, Lord. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, you're right. There's definitely several adventures within Lord of the Rings happening. It's almost like that Tolkien's DMing multiple parties. Oh, God. <laughs> He's clearly I, got multiple, multiple parties moving I, in the world at the same time. He's a, yeah. clearly a very talented DM. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's about what we're talking about here. And I guess, you know, when you're thinking about – this is you know, one of the things we were talking about coming into this is that I'm good at coming up with the whole world. I'm good at kind of how this things all work. How do things work? I tend to think in the long arc, which means sometimes there aren't actually adventures in my adventure. <laughs> so, like for instance, I was thinking about it when we started talking about this. I'm like, yeah, with the Woodstock Wanderers, I've uh... no, that's that's they really haven't. That's been kind of one long Lost style adventure. You know, I'm running a TV show much more like Lost. Where we're just tagging you along from mystery to mystery with nothing really resolving along. But some things resolve episodically, but for the most part, you know, it's go find the next thing. Oh, go find the next thing. And I am kind of, I, I am thinking maybe I need to put, I should put some adventure, you know, so, some some mini, some adventures over the course of it. You know, if you're telling the story, your campaign as five or six adventures, maybe that makes things a little, a little more parsable for the PCs than just, you know, okay, now you go find the next thing. Well, I think that's good. I think, Tone, would you agree that uh, this this idea kind of comes up from when you would play, you know, like I played old 1E modules and you did a lot of like 1E and 2E, and it they were kind of built that way, right? Like if you went through the village of Hamlet, that was an adventure, and it would take you, you know, maybe a couple sessions, depending. And it's kind of gotten away from that in, in the more recent times. Well, I think you could certainly make a case for that. Uh, but with any of the printed materials, I think it's it provides a lot of great information. Some of the best stuff that I got uh, to work with, I mean, obviously came from uh, those resources. But that's your foundation. 
it's up to you and your players to build a house on that. And then you have to be the judge of where you need to put your own spin on it. Mm-hmm. And, and that can really apply to any aspect of it. Timing. Um, one of the things that, as you're aware that I do as DM, is I'm a big fan of the DM NPC. And one of the reasons why I've always done this, or almost always done this, is because it really gives me a unique perspective in my own module where I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, you know, a- as a player, I'm like, oh, my God, like that attack was so weak. <laughs> that's so frustrating. You're like, no, no. According to this blog I saw on Reddit, that's really great. And I'm like, really? Because it looks like it sucks. It's horrible. Um, Tony is never going to uh, vicious mockery. So, so, so someone, someone to death. He's just never going to play the bard who, who, who does that. Oh, it's not the most overpowered. It's not the most powered cantrip in the world, but it it serves its purpose. Thorin loves watching the boss run away. <laughs> oh no 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 that's. Oh no that's it. No, you got to burn a spell slot. You want dissonant whisper? No, yeah. the cantrip is vicious mockery. It's what it's like one d four damage, and yeah, they have and that's only on the next they, attack. That's only if they fail their save. Oh. I mean, it's rough, but it's it's more about imposing the disadvantage. Anyway. Totally different conversation. Well, it's, it's funny because you know if you vicious mockery someone to death, you you've effectively removed their will to live, and I guess they killed themselves. I mean, yeah, it's enough psychic damage that they're just put in the pit of despair. Right? <laughs> oh, the pit of despair! How horrifying. <laughs> so, what makes a great adventure? You know, what should you really be if you're when you're starting to come up planning plan an adventure for your for your party? You know, what are you trying to do? What what make what do you think is going to make that? What makes this worth making a whole adventure out of it? Well, I think you certainly should be uh, really versed in the lore of the land that's being set in. Uh, that has a lot of different levels. I mean, we're talking about like you should be comfortable with what gods are there, what's going on with the city, uh, the surrounding area. Because nothing kind of deflates the vibe of a room where someone asks a pretty you know, uh, seemingly innocuous question like, so what's the nearest city to here? And you're like, uh, Randoran. <laughs> you know, the that's players, really good. How do you spell? I want to use that. <laughs> I don't spell it Randoran. Wait, you can't use it. Um, <laughs> it's good to have that kind of depth to really make the players want to investigate things. But with that much depth, you don't want them all to drown in it either. So then what do you do when, you, when, when you're introducing an adventure? Like, uh, are you basically trying to pull them into one constrained thing that you can DM around? Well, it's going to stay with, within the confines of where you've hooked them and it, you're, you're building up this climatic finish. But with depth, for example, if, I, if someone came over and brought you guys food in an inn and I gave that character a one-minute description, all kinds of problems are going to occur from that if that's just a bit character. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what's going on with this person? You know, and then you start digging in places where I didn't mean to. But here I am just trying to add depth. Like, here's a really realistic looking NPC, you know, in, in this tavern. I want you to really have this feel there. And then you get lost. And then they can't differentiate what are the real key plot points. And when is he just describing something in depth that perhaps he didn't need to. All right. So then, like, what do you do to keep them from doing that? Well, I, I wouldn't add too much emphasis to something that truly is a bit character or a not really pertinent object. So, I mean, the DM could throw a clue is if I spend, you know, a paragraph describing a chest or a painting or something, well, then that's something worth investigating. And if not, then it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's not a lead, but it's not, to me, that's a soft pitch. 
If okay. DM describes something for four lines, then, you know, <laughs> that seems like an interactive object in, in the RPG game. So what do you think, Dave? Like, what do you, when you think about an adventure, what do you think, man, what do you think, you're, what are you building an adventure around? I am going to go back to the, uh, in essence, it was a one-off, it was a one-shot, but it was a one-shot that turned into, I think, two or three nights of play. So it was an adventure. And it was the one that I took uh, my group through in the Marvel superheroes role-playing game where I kind of created my own adventure because they have a lot of great modules because they were, it was a TSR product too. So they yeah. have all, they have all the ones that you could be the X-Men, you could be Alpha Flight and you could be Fantastic Four. And at some point I want to play through all of them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I decided to kind of write my own just to see how it was. And it was all kind of based around the Kingpin and, and the Maggie and the Hellfire Club. And there was this whole, thing that was happening, but it had a central driver, right? It had uh, multiple factions working against each other, but in enough of a way that wasn't so much that you needed to make a whole campaign out of it, but enough that it was a, um, maybe a comic or two, right? It was enough material that you could do in a session, in a number of sessions and have some level of completion without making it oh, okay, now we can ride off into the sunset like Shane, right? Yeah. That's like your end of your campaign. Or like with Slaver's Bay. I've said this before, I've kitbashed it to have an old, it's a very classic old school mod that I'm using uh, as the main mystery, let's say, and the main big bad. But then I have all of the other stuff around that, right? Which introduced the party to the world and had you guys travel to the town and begin to, so all of those are part of the overall, quote, adventure. But again, I think what we're seeing is that we don't really think that way anymore. We think about we're running campaigns. So it's an, it's an open-ended adventure that has different beats and different uh, climaxes during it, but doesn't really, you don't get to the point necessarily until you're like, whatever level, whatever, that you ride off into the sunset. Right. And the credits roll. But, you know, so that is the way I've been doing it. But I think maybe this is a spot where some where I can uh, improve on the way I've been approaching these things. Maybe we all can. Uh, but Tony, I know you've done some adventures. I know you've done you, you've made some adventures that kind of uh, were self-contained. But like I think about it, the Woodstock Wanderers, they've kind of wandered. <laughs> they're they're well named that way, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there are definitely there have definitely been periods like they've been in locations. They've been there's time they've spent in certain places where they've gone on something you could think of as an adventure. Like for example, uh, you know they were in you know kind of the starting like kind of the the, the northern part of these uh, of this continent, and they got kind of warped down to the southern part. And down there, they had to kind of get into a temple to discover why this great elder thing had woken up when it used to be asleep uh they got some treasure they were also there to get some treasure to help fight the, the, the to help fight the enemies they have but that in itself probably should have been looked at as an adventure you know you guys have to go down there to get you guys are going down there to get this to, to, to kind of get the objects you need to move forward and that's an adventure right the, the time you guys spent in that temple in that whole area so going down there fighting your way into the temple, or, or you could have negotiated your way into the temple, getting into the temple, going into the catacombs beneath the temple, which eventually led you to this place the elves had used to put this thing to sleep many, many years ago, where you found out what had happened and what was missing and why it's not asleep anymore, got attacked by some other things that kind of hinted at 
that this thing is kind of an outer kind of nature. Then you fought your way back out and back in, you know, there was a final climactic battle against the Flind and these, this, these null forces that had come there to kill you uh, yeah. as you were coming out of the temple. There's multiple adventures within that, you know, those are all adventures, but we, it wasn't a self-contained thing well, where, okay, you, you're done that because that one thing led right into the next, which led into the next. I would argue from a story point of view, that's probably all one adventure. It was your adventure in getting the, the, the better items and learning how to put this thing to sleep and then coming back out. That okay. I think is one adventure. Okay. All right. And then all from right. there, it went into the Feywild, which could have turned into its own adventure, but it was kind of short-circuited. So you guys kind of skipped the adventure part of it. But the Feywild could have been your adventure through the Feywild to get back to, to, to get back to your world dealing with this green dragon and, and, and being puppeteered and being gassed. And how do you finally, how do you get, how do you escape and come back to your world? And now you're probably entering into an adventure that is, you know, okay, so you now know what you need to do. What puts this great old one to sleep? You know who the players are. What are you going to do about it now? And this next phase here is probably its own self-contained adventure. And if I thought about them that way, they might actually come together better. You know, I mean, they came together. Well, I have no complaints about how they came, came together. But it might be a little more, you know, it, maybe it'd be better if I did think of them as, okay, here's the adventure they're on now. Trick is, at every point, it went that way because the players chose to go those ways. Exactly. If the players make different choices, like in the Feywild, we go from what couldn't have been an adventure to what is really just a kind of a two-session escape. You know, it was, like, it was like one session, get to know the Feywild, two session, escape the Feywild, and now we're back home. So that really wasn't, that didn't actually turn into an adventure. That was kind of a, just a, just kind of a little vignette to get yeah, you back stop home. It just, Wait. Yeah, it's just a travel, basically, it was basically a travel montage. So Sonia, when you're planning adventures, when you're, when you're actually set out to write it, to, to, to build an adventure, like, you know, how do you, like, how do you put one together? Well, I think what really differentiates uh, an adventure from a campaign, a recession, is really theme. So okay. if I'm looking to do something for several sessions, for example, we're in we're in Celtic uh, Celtic setting, we're in a northern setting, we're in, in the jungles, catacombs, um, the elemental plane of fire. I mean, perhaps that's something that rolls on, and we're trying to do, and it has a specific story in there your beginning and your end and once you're finished your that you're not running off in the sunset like dave was describing but you've reached you've reached a, a clear point mm. like the the movie has ended maybe the character's adventures have not yeah like you've come you get to your reward you you you, you so what is it so what makes an adventure right you've got a you've got a probably they get a quest of some sort you know they mm. they need to figure it's, it's kind of one plot avengers you know, the first avengers movie is an adventure Mm -hmm. That's a one, yeah. it's a self-contained that builds upon itself, right? But it's self-contained within itself. You have a, you have a, you know, uh, an antagonist mm -hmm. and you have what they're trying to accomplish and how you need to foil that. And, you know, through that whole thing, you reach that, you know, you, you reach the, the, the conflict and the climax and the resolution. Of That's that. really a good example, because in that story, like if Thor was a player, well, that you're going after this guy. Why? He's your brother. Um, oh, you got all the backstory there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it, it all ties together. Um, and it sets up other things. It absolutely so, does. Yeah. If you wanted to, and one of the things I do like about the adventure opposed to just running the open arc is, and I've said this in the previous podcast, all your eggs aren't one basket. 
I have run some modules that, you know, just haven't been my players' favorites. Maybe they prefer a certain setting. I know one of my longtime gaming buddies always preferred catacomb-esque settings. Uh, that's where he thought D&D really was like a strong location for it. Some of them really preferred the high seas. Some of them couldn't stand it. I've had players be like, get me off this boat. And I'm like, we got to get to the, to get to get to the next part here. You got two height. weeks until we get to the island. So you got to. The trick with boats is melee characters don't have a whole lot to do, do they? You're kind of, you know, if, if any kind of combat you have is happening with something off the boat. So your melee characters kind of beat. Or if you're in a first, second edition, uh, campaign and you have a you know a paladin in full plate they're like yeah get me off this boat yeah <laughs> not a run. fan of that um not swimming not swimming anywhere at all even if you hit me with the water breathing i'm not getting out of here in time i want to say if you're we're doing uh, if you're doing the module though and we're doing printed material one one thing i do really enjoy doing is i take a look at the villains and i mean one particular case we were in bloodstone and they were in the village, and it was the first night that they were there, and there was an attack in the middle of the night. The heroes rushed to face this whoever has caused that someone had been killed. They saw some wolves that were there, and then there was a vampire. And they fought the vampire. The vampire escaped. Now, this was supposed to be a bit character, essentially. He, he really was not anything of any. He was really like this deranged kind of guy who got caught up in this, and they were supposed to, you know— hunt him down, dispose of them, and then that would leave the bigger questions of why is there a vampire here? Who created this guy? Is there a, is there a greater vampire? Etc. And instead, I kind of evolved him into more of a nemesis. Like, he wasn't quite Moriarty, but he was a, he then, like, harassed the characters uh, throughout the module different points, and I used him to drop plot devices where he would kind of hit at his, I mean, the greater plan of the module to kind of feed them in. And then he ended up at the at the end of that entire arc, a big battle, spoiler alert, the module's 30 years old, uh, down in the mines of Bloodstone <laughs> at the Mercury Pool. And I had him there at that climatic battle and it kind of wrapped everything up full circle. Uh, that's uh, that, that reminds me, Tone. It's one of the things that uh, in his... Uh, running the game series, Matt Colville's. Um, he always says with some of those old modules uh, that he reskins, uh, he says, read the end first. You know, he says, open up the back of it. He doesn't care about all the history and all the stuff that the writer thinks that you care about. He cares about who's the villain. Those are Why are words. they there? What are they trying to do? And then from that point, you kind of understand the general gist of the whole adventure. And then, like you were saying, you can then adjust that if need be, because you're like, well, no, this villain is actually really cool. And depending on the type of party you have, you can then adjust that to make it, like you said, a nemesis, possibly. I've totally reskinned a villain where I'm like, I'm watching my guys like wood chipper monsters. I'm like, they're going to get to the end, meet this guy. They're expecting this heavy battle. I'm like, this is going to be over in two rounds. I'm like, okay. Same personality will just take you out. Okay, uh, you aren't, you're not, um, you're no longer a Varrock demon. Perhaps I can interest you in a Merilith. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a that's a jump. <laughs> you gotta go up the chain. Wow. I am excessive. Wow, seen this. So you know, you mentioned that one of the problems can be kind of getting the players to take the hook, and you mentioned like 
like, like, like you're just talking about Tony, like they had this vampire, then you expected them to kill the vampire and then be curious about why is there a vampire here and who sired it, et cetera. What are some good ways to make sure they take the, they, like, what are some good uh, hooks that players are going to pick up on and want to follow through on? Good point. Good point. I, I stand behind this. If you can't hook the players with things that are tied into their own interests and backstories, I don't know what's going to. Or things that are aligned along the lines of their their core personality. Like, for example, you have a paladin, there's injustice, or the, the wizard gets hooked with seeking knowledge. I mean, really, throw the ball right at the plate. And, <laughs> and if they're not swinging, then I'm sorry. Maybe you don't have heroes, guys. Like, we, we've all been in that situation. Maybe these guys want to sit on the couch and eat Taco Bell. I, I, it, I don't know. It goes back to stuff we've talked about before with that, though, in that, uh, Thorne, to your point, often that everyone is responsible for the fun at the table. Mm. Um and you're there to play a game. So, like you've said it before too, Tony, don't be a Pete, right? Oh, uh, Pete is like, my. Uh. Yeah, we're like, it's cool to have the role play. It's cool to have the motivation of the character. And, like, what would my characters do? That's, that's one of the most awesome things that's kept this going, I think, for all of this time. But, like, we're still sitting down to play D&D. That means we're going on an adventure. It means we're going to come up to fantastical locations and fight monsters. And, right? Like, you need to kind of buy in, though. Like, I, you can't do all the work and just expect people to just, well, you know, what? where's my hook? I gave you, like, seven, right? Like, Thorne, you said it in your one game. They were they didn't really like where it was going, and you're like, dude, I gave you all this stuff. What else do you want? Like, tell me. Let me know, you know? You had Strahd in there. You had all these people. You had... Well, I will say, so one of the things, that, and it goes back to what Tony just mentioned a little bit, is I do think you want to make sure your hook is crystal clear when you're starting on an adventure, or what the hooks are, plural. Because sometimes counting on the players to read something the way you do can be really, that's the that's time you can lose control of things a little bit. Because oftentimes the players hear what you're saying and they don't take it the same way. Like, you plant the vampire because the play, you want the players to pick up on, hey, someone's making vampires. But maybe the players just pick on pick up on hey we killed a vampire woo yay us let's collect the reward and get moving guys you know it's like you need them you need the hook to be strong enough that's going to yank them into what to, 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 to what this adventure is and even in my case where we're doing potentially where i'm maybe not planning a hook i do think from the point at which they decide what they want to do next like that is the adventure and what i'm going to plan out should be an adventure kind of that leads to a payoff on that next course of action they want to take. Um, unless it's something that can be done in like one, one night or one session. But I think that's something clarity of the hook is I think something where sometimes homebrew adventures go wrong. You want to really make sure that the players are understand where you're trying to take them with the knowledge that you may, they may not read things the same way you do. And that's a really key point, I think. You know, you want to make sure it's super clear. You know, whether you want them to go to these mines. Like, I'm a big fan of if I'm going to send someone off to do something specific, there is often a, and they have often taken a formal quest of some sort with a reward or something to obtain. Like, it's not just like, hey, there might be activity over there. It's like, hey, I'm paying you to go. The king is paying you to go here and clear this out. One thing I loved in Baldur's Gate, the video game, and for all of us really old heads, was that you'd get a quest, 
and it would land in your this is where it all started it came later in rpgs but it would <laughs> land in your quest log so you're like okay what's open okay i've got to go to the mines i've got to find out who's decaying the iron in the mines because at the bottom of this literally um and it was much more focused in that respect and if you're lost, I'm like, where's my clue? And it put all your relevant clues in there. Like I said in previous uh, episodes, if you're lucky enough to have somebody at your table who's writing all this stuff down, which I have in the past, it's really a gift. Well, I think <laughs> as a DM, I think it's your job to make sure they remember those things to some extent. Like, you can drop them, but it's like we talked about a couple episodes ago. Just because you say that, like, just because you expected them to pick up on that hint, like, if they don't, you're the one who loses, right? Because then your story doesn't happen. So you need, I think you do need to kind of keep in mind of what are the things that they're that they're playing with and reiterate the important ones so they remember. Because, like, if they got to go down to the mine to figure out why the iron's falling apart, Actually, at my table, if I want them to go do that, I'm almost certainly going to give them a direct, hey, the chief here is hiring you to go check out the mine. That's your job now. You can do it or not do it as you want, but it's crystal clear there is a job to be done in the mine. There is an adventure to be had there. Go have it. Or tell me what you want to have. There's clarity on that this is the adventure. There's not just the, hey, some... Because if the idea is the iron's deteriorating, and I don't, in the, as a player, I don't get a specific request to go check that out, I might treat that as, as as a clue to something else, not as something I need to go clear out myself, you know? No, there, there's truth in that. If, if that uh, hook is not strong or it's not clear what direction it's going in, then, yeah, you won't reel them in. And that's you're, – you're absolutely right. Then, then you do lose, unfortunately, because you're like, okay, so the plot. All right. They, they've they've well, got a pie stand. There's multiple ways to go about that, though, I think. And I think it depends very much on, on the table that you're playing at and your type of players. Um, but uh, similar to the quest log or like when Skyrim just went insane with that. And then literally you had yeah. like I'm a, I, you can't do all the quests. Oh, my God. It's just just opens up to nothing. You can. Um, I think me and Tony both did them. All every single, oh my god, I think so. enough to the point where it's not a conversation. Let me put it to you like that. They're excessive, they're just well, those excessive. are the hundred in magic and swordsmanship and heavy armor. I mean, I certainly got to the point where it was I've done all the quests except for these like a couple collection quests, which I have no intention of completing. But there's multiple ways there, there's the backstory tie ins that you, you know, you can easily do depending if people are really heavy in the backstory or if they have several people that are similar. The uh, great one is the jobs board in town, right? And you just put the quest that you want them to go on up there, and then they're all going to lead to the same goddamn place, probably. Mm -hmm. So whatever, the, you know, Schrodinger's encounter, right? Or the old, or, kinda, or the old, like, the villains attacked them, or the villains did something bad to them, and now the players got to go fix it, or got to get their stuff back, or get revenge, or yeah, you know. And then the way I did it, um, or you could you could just make them all slaves in a pit. And then they just have to do what you tell them to do, or they die. Um, that's <laughs> an easy way to do it. Or and, what? I and I've got them on the rails. I'm working on the railroad. <laughs> but uh, or one that I uh, that I did for for the Strahd campaign, which I liked uh, actually because I've been wanting to use it anyway, was I had uh, Bonnie's character um, hire the team, you know, kind of send out ideas. And so I sent something to her first, and then she had to go about hiring the team so she decided to create this letter that she sent out to everybody blah 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 um i think that's a cool way to do it too because either the, uh, a patron an npc patron is hiring you for the job which is always a classic 
or one of the players is in essence like uh, is the, the focal point at that point because they bring everybody in and then they have to then explain why are you all here, which makes it a lot easier for you as the DM to sit back and see some of the interaction as they have to now say, well, I, I really need you on this this adventure here, you know? Well, I actually did something similar with uh, Tony's character in the, in the other game um, where he was, uh, where, where he, where you were the yeah, wizard. The and, and that was, something, yeah, right? that was, that was literally like, he was working for the king of that kingdom as like, as, as like an officiate, like, like, a, like, like as a, one of the king's many wizards, you know, kind of a, you know, almost like, like, like a, he was just, he was a kingdom official effectively. And he had to go and, you know, he had a quest to do and he had to go hire a team to do it. And he actually had the money. So the player actually gave the player the, the quest reward plus double the request reward in case you have any expenses. <laughs> so he's, he's basically, I gave it to him. He had to go hire the other PCs and he was going to be the guy who like, he had like, like it was his quest to do and he had the money to pay them when he they has stopped. pharmaceutical executive money. He yes. Expense yeah, yeah. reports <laughs> just are. <laughs> he's the pharmaceutical salesman. Well, that's a different kind of game entirely, but I mean, that, yeah, kind right. of, and that, that works pretty well. I we think you know, it's, that it's, idea though. There we go. Yeah, your pharmaceutical reps. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I like how many doctors one, you get because... to sell your, your pills? I mean, I like we... the hiring. I like yeah. the, that one of the PCs does the hiring, though, in that or whatever, assembles the team like Ocean's Eleven style or whatever, because that kind of throws the ball back into their court, you know? So it's not as much you creating the adventure, it's them, you know, kind of figuring it out right from the get go, I think. Yeah, it gives you one player who's at least invested in that player's job. It's kind of that player's job then to keep them on task to do the quest they have, right? It's yeah. it, it, it takes someone now has role-playing investment in what's going on, other than you just trying to say, guys, quest over here. Like, you've actually given it to someone else to be responsible. For. And if and again, if, as far as I'm concerned, if the party doesn't want to take the quest bait, I'm fine with hey, that. That's, yeah. Some of the quests you want to go. Yeah. You know, what, what else do you want to do in the world? We're going to do that. But I, I don't expect me to pitch you something else. It's not like I'm not going to come out here with like, how about this one? How about this one? But yeah, at that point, you can go the way you want to go. So once the party takes the quest bait, what do you think? I mean, what makes a fun quest? What do you want them doing? You want the pillars of uh, role-playing games, right? Do well, we that, really explore in D&D? I think this is a legitimate question that came up recently in a Facebook conversation we had. Yeah, yeah. Is um, it exploration it or something? Cool. Like, yeah. It, it can be. Uh, I like to take a really honest look at that module, and when I'm examining like the monsters, I'm and I'm going to examine the rewards, too. And one of the things with Storm King's Thunder in very key areas, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, this, this incredible thing, they killed these giants. Okay, give them a random magical item. And I'm like, ah, a random magical item. There's nothing quite as mysterious as me giving them, like, you know, a plus one cheeseburger. A um, gem of seeing. That could be really fantastic. It depends on the character. A character could think that's absolutely wonderful. But when given rewards, it's very tricky, too, in these modules because there's also nothing like playing in a game for eight hours and someone, get, you know, and someone gets a Vorpal sword and you've got the cheeseburger. And you're like, well, this is fantastic. And believe me, I've been there. I've, I've, and I've eaten my cheeseburger. And it was only okay. It was more like one of those cheeseburgers you get out of a vending machine. For I just years, I just can't, I can't feel every time Tony talks about this that he's calling me out. I just 
No, not at all. This is way before you, dude. I was in mods where I was like, okay, and you killed the owl bears. Fantastic. Let's roll some treasure. Okay, and uh, all right, Luke, you got a plus one scimitar. Congratulations. Oh, and Tony got a plus one shield. Nice, nice. Okay, what the Tom roll? Oh my God, a two-handed vorpal sword. Well, congratulations. That's the best item anyone's gonna see. It was in a random place that makes absolutely no sense to the backstory. Well, have fun with that. And we're like, what? yeah, I don't. I, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that. I like magic stuff to be one. I like it to be rare. I do like it to be random to a degree. I don't like it to feel like it's built for that party just specifically. Like that's so crazy. Like all this stuff just happened to be all in one spot. Yeah, I, I like it to be a little more random and a little more like it matters when you find it. And then you have to figure out like how does that work in the game? Literally randomly rolled out that the uh, the Slavers Bay guys would find a gem of seeing. And I was like, all right, who knows what this will be. And then when they ran into a night hag, it started to make a lot more sense. And I was like, oh, shit, I never even wrote it that way. I never even thought about it, but it just kind of happened. And then they kind of use it in cool, weird ways, you know? Did we? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I had to remind you. I had to, like, I had to like through, uh, through the, your gods, remind you that you had it in your inventory. Yeah. Well, that's one of the well, that's one of the things to keep in mind. With magic items. I, I very I very carefully picked all the items because I got to tell you, there's nothing quite like getting somebody who's got an item that absolutely rocks, and the rest of you guys get pop rocks. I'll see you next week. You know, I actually pick all my items too at this point. I mean, I've rolled them randomly before. Now I read random magic item as DM's choice magic item pretty consistently because part of what I'm thinking Agreed. is. Yeah, I do go through there, and because what I'll do, I don't give magic items very frequently at this point. I know it might change. Different, you know, in 5e, I've kind of had basically item dumps, like basically the party finds some sort of treasure hoard, or someone is giving them things to go complete their quest, which happened twice with the Woodstock Wanderers. And it's usually everyone gets a thing or two, and maybe there's some other things left over for the party to figure out what they want to do with. But I will go through in. You know, my approach to D&D is very much, oh, that's a cool thing I want to play with. Oh, that's a cool thing maybe they want to play with. So it's just kind of, well, what looks neat for the characters? Oh, they would like this thing. Oh, the barbarian would like that axe. You know, and it's, you know, maybe there's some cursed stuff thrown in there because it's just stuff I want to see in action because I think it'll be cool and I think they'll enjoy it. So I, I, I approach magic items almost like a Christmas, like, like it's, you know, I'm, I'm Santa Claus and I'm giving away gifts. A wish list, yeah. Yeah. I don't ask for a wish list, you know, because if I no, know... kind of know what certain people are going to, you know, if someone's always using a battle axe, you're not going to give them a bow, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem with the wish list is then there's the expectation they're going to get what's on their wish list, and you may or may not want to give out that particular power. You know, there oftentimes when there's a wish list, there's someone on there who has some things on there like, eh, I wasn't going to do that in this game. I, I will give it out that too. And you, you and I have both talked about it, Thorin, especially with 5e, in the way in which it was the kind of the design of the system is magic items, especially plus magic, especially plus weapons, can dramatically start to warp the capabilities of the characters because of the bounded accuracy system. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about you, only, if you only go a plus one per proficiency tier, sort of, well, every plus one of your magic item effectively bumps you up not one level but multiple levels. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I think as Tony said, maybe that's not that important when you look at the grand scheme of things. You know, uh, although he does keep saying we run through his monsters like you know, like like a Cuisinart running through some <laughs> potatoes. Yeah, 
let's not get carried away. Wait until you see next week. Always so far. Always so far. These Always things so do go hand in hand, I'm sure. Yeah. But they do. Not- As does focusing in on the Barbarian a lot because of their resistance, too, though, I will say. <laughs> oh, like, he's the entire Raiders defensive line. I can't get around him. It's really obvious. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that was hilarious in my game as a DM was I threw out the Flind, and the Flind's got a, ma- a mace or a flail, like has three heads, and they do three different things. And you can direct one attack at, at different players. Well, one of them does a ton of psychic damage, and there's no quicker way to let the Barbarian know they're not immune to everything than they hit them with a bunch of ouchy, ouchy pain until they fall down. <laughs> like, those Barbarians, like, I'm like, yeah, you take 56. It's like, half? Nope. That's psychic damage. It hurts so bad you fall over and cry. And that'll put a barbarian in their place. I mean, I gotta say, breaking character here. Good to know. Psychic if I run into barbarians. any dog people with psychic nunchucks, I'll I'll be very careful. Well, well, barbarians are only barbarians are only resistant to weapon to to basically bludgeoning, piercing, slashing. Oh wait, oh, unless you mean they're possibly a professional wrestler that took the path of the bear and they're resistant to all types of damage except psychic. Oh. Except psychic. Oh really? Yeah, they're resistant to every type of damage except psychic. Yeah, it's it's crazy, dude. It's it's super powerful. Yeah, Yeah, it's preposterous, and I'm riding that train of preposterous. Oh (laughs) he's the world's most defensive barbarian. He basically stands for He's just I, throw, throw throw weapons at me. I'm fine. Go ahead. I'm just all fireballs and fucking ice cones of cold. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's all just well break out the psychic damage. There's yeah. enough of it out I there. Think Mind Flayer has to show up somehow in Barovia. I don't know how. Uh, they're in it. there somewhere. It depends on what flare, section of you know, I mean, there's actually there is actually quite a bit of psychic damage around because fifth edition themes psychic damage as anything about like hits your your emotions or your pain or your mental capacity in any yeah. way so there's a yeah. ton of it yeah. you, you have enough you, you can definitely you can definitely throw that out there if you want to the flint there you go yeah, hit him with that pain mace and see what happens although he's also got that massive armor class there's barovian flints they're like yeah yeah back to back to talking about adventures though all right, so we could talk about how you get them to take the hook, but I mean, what makes like so? So, what do you do next? Like, what is the uh, you know, how, how do you make sure the adventure itself is engaging and fun? Well, once they are hooked, you want to slow them, fe- solely feed them the story, and like I said, you got to keep them hungry with that. Like, that has to be interesting and engaging. And how do you do that? Uh, the foundation, it's good to keep within the the characters, either their interests, their backstories, or what they're like what how are they rolling like literally like if you're a paladin and you know you're uh i don't know you're against the undead well here's some undead you don't care about that you're fired like i i don't know what to tell you but no like like but but okay we talked about how you get them into it but like what do you do what what do you build what what how do you construct that adventure to, to, to so they have the most fun with it like what makes an event what makes playing through it fun your monsters have to be appropriately scaled to have a good tension level during the game and i'm not afraid to go into the module and up or down uh the difficulty like i said in storm king's thunder some of those traps would have probably killed a few of you outright (laughs) and i'm like no we're not doing this absolutely not i'm not gonna say okay you had that fight you fought those yetis good tactics you really beat them that that's awesome oh oh no you stepped on that spot you idiot meteor storm uh you know 
that that that's not that would be fun to anybody. So so Dave, what about you? When you're when you're building adventures, like what do you uh, what do you try to get in there to make sure it's fun? Uh, like I said, the pillars, right? So mm-hmm. you want you want some combat, you want some social encounters. A lot of times, what people will call role playing. I think the whole game is role playing, though. So I don't I don't mm-hmm. mix between those. Uh, but social encounters, things where you're interacting with the world, where you're not just killing it. Um, and I like exploration and investigation. I think that that creates a lot of because I think people love mysteries and trying to figure something out. So the only way you're going to do that is not just murder your way through it. You're going to have to break out some of the clues. You're going to have to use those skills. You're going to have to think your way out of the box a little bit and talk to the right people and, and those types of things. You know, I think, you know, when I'm putting together uh, what is an adventure sized arc, um, what have been effectively casually adventures for me, I often think about, okay, like Tony mentioned before theme and like, so I'll put together, you know, where is this whole thing going to take place and then what kinds of things are going to live there. And I often try to come at it from the point of view of why are these things here beyond just to fight my to, to, to fight my party like i'm a big fan of organic dungeon building whether that dungeon is out indoors or outdoors but mm-hmm. you know the place they're entering into uh whether they're going underground or whatever they're doing they everything they're going to meet in this place has its own reason for being there and its own motivation its own goals so i often try to think about it from the point of view of why does this stuff, why is this stuff here to begin with? Like if they're constructs, well, clearly someone enchanted them and left them here. So why, what, what were they there to do? If it's a tribe that's living there or something, why are they here? When do they come in? How do they think about things? And then I let that guide how they're interacting with the party. So like if the party's got to get in, like in the case of the Woodstock Wanderers, where they basically had to get into the basement of this temple, a deserted temple in the jungle in the temple had basically been some grung had moved in and made it their home. So it starts with the grung and the grung are slavers. The grung are evil. The grung are not friendly, although they talked to the party to begin with at one point, because actually there had been several bad monsters had moved into the front. So the party comes in, they clear out the monsters in the front, some Garolans and a giant crocodile. And then they start talking to the grung, but they need to negotiate their way in. So they need to figure out how to get in with the grung. That goes very wrong, and it turns into a huge combat, multiple nights of combat with the Grung to fight their way in, including things like the Grung running a brontosaurus at them that they goaded along and all sorts of ranged combat. Eventually, when the party had um, depopulated Yeah, we were, we were performing temple. a war of attrition against yes. the Grung, yes. is, is as Scott put it, a war of attrition. <laughs> we were just whittling them down and running back into the tree and then coming out and whittling them down. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. So after they had decimated the grung population, and, 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 and decimated means reduced by 10%, you guys reduced it by at least 60%. Finally, the grung gave up, like, all right, well, let's usher you through. And they ushered them through down into the basement. And in the basement, you know, they're getting into these elder, older elven temples. And the things they're running into there are there for a reason as well. There's a bit of the, uh, there, there's this underground river that cuts through that is populated by things um, that are trying to keep them out, uh, Chul at that point. And then once they get through that, they go into the temple. And now the reason the Chul were there is because these are they're kind of serving these outer powers that would rather no one try to stop any uh, the, the the big bad outer thing from waking up. So they had a reason to be there and a reason to oppose the party. At the same time, they then ran into flail snails that were kind of just moving along and eating, and that was a different kind of thing. They got ambushed by, then they got ambushed by. Uh, uh, cave fishers, I believe, or not cave fishers. Uh, ropers. Uh, 
No, it wasn't the Roper there. It was the um, Ankegs. Ankegs. Oh, okay. And Ankegs are there to eat. So when the party showed up and the Ankegs sensed them, well, they're trying to get something to eat and have the fight. And they're fighting, you know, they're escaping from the Ankegs, effectively fighting them, but they could have escaped if they wanted to. Then they wind up in the temple where there's a temple guardian. The temple guardian is there because it's a quaddle that is living there to protect this place and keep and try to keep things from getting worse. They talk to that. They don't fight that. But there's also, I believe, an ublex in several forms of um, yeah. sentient ooze in there that are trying to basically out, you know, root out the, the, the quaddle and make sure no one gets in there to help him. So every step along the line, the reason they're having, the reason they're dealing with this party is it's organic. There is something that they're there for something that has to do with the story. It's not just, or with the story, with the environment, either one, but it's not just, well, Hey, I want to throw this monster and that monster. in. it's they're in here because they factor in, in this way. And that determines how they interact with the party. And that's, that's one of the big things I think is I think you want to think about once they go on the adventure, there's almost certainly going to be some form of dungeon. There's going to be some, some area of challenge, whether it's actually a dungeon or it's, it's a court they have to navigate uh, or it's a tournament they have to get through, or it's, you know, they got to go stop someone from doing something, you know, stop, stop a bad guy from doing something, whatever it is, everyone involved should have their own motivations. Um, now really motivations make the monsters. I think that's, that's a really core encounter building point. I think it's also an adventure building point that everything they're going to come into across the adventure has, should have a motivation and a reason it's interacting with the party. And that should guide whether they want to, they, they, they're trying to kill the party. The party can talk to them or what the party can do with them. And I think of course, you also want the party moving through some interesting environments. Like I just described going into this temple in the jungle and then into these wondrous caverns beneath it. And then into this ancient elven temple where there's, you know, there, there, there's there's sentient ooze trying to calm them and charm them. And, you know, all these things are different environments I'm sending them through and a different stimulations and different places for the characters to interact with. Um, so for me, I think you want to, you know, I, I want to think of it that way. I want to think organically, why are they here? And then you want to think about the places they go to, how are they impressive? And the challenges that confront them, why are those challenges there and how do they fit into the overall environment of your adventure and your story? To me, those are all important. I don't know, Dave, you've played through it. I mean, what do you think? Does that does that make for a fun adventure? Oh, I think it's been incredibly fun. And like I said, it depends on what you want to consider it because there have been multiple adventures through that. And we could call them, you know, uh, the whole from from day one up to the temple could have been the one adventure. And then, the, you know, <laughs> or it could have been when we first enter the woods and we have to go through the whole thing of spiders and all of this. And we find the snakes to the Alakir and that to that like underground hovel. In essence, we could have been like, okay, we, we should probably split now. Uh, for some reason we didn't, but uh, we just kept kind of exploring a little bit and let us further. Uh, but yeah, there needs to be some sort of, there is a, a specific goal uh, that is laid out and how you want to approach that. And your reasons for doing so are then the adventure. And then when that concludes, that then builds into the next one. And then as you string them together, we could call it a campaign. But the adventure itself can be can be somewhat less open ended. You know what's funny? You say that you guys could have walked away. You actually never could have. There's right. Always... What happened there? I can't even remember. There's... We were in the hovel with the, the... when we first arrived at the first uh, kind of goblin encampment, and there was a hobgoblin there. It was the first time Beam almost died. And we we, we definitely got to give a little more context here. So basically, the the this the Woodstock Wanderers started off with they were hired, clear adventure hook to go recover some kidnapped miners 
Um, basically, it's a little bit of a kind of a, a town on the borderlands kind of situation. People are out across the river in a great wild wood that has mines and they're logging it. And basically, all of a sudden, people are starting to get kidnapped from that wood. So the party is hired to go recover the, I think there's like 20 village, 20, 20 village miners and forest, you know, kind of woodsmen who had been out there, had been kidnapped or being drug away. The party got on the trail. They're chasing the, what appeared to be goblins that had taken them. So that's where this is all coming from. And when they came to the first kind of goblin encampment, where they almost caught up with the with the slavers. or that, the, And when we went underground, and yes. that's where we got caught up with Brother Maynard. So, That's so, why. Okay. Yeah. So, yep. so, so the way I structured this was first they're following their clues and the job they're hired to do. Then they get they get to the spot, but the goblins have escaped. The goblins have taken the prisoners away just before they got there. They had been the party had been waylaid outside, like goblin guards and some giant boars had kind of forced the party to take a long rest outside, so they couldn't just dive right in and go right in and try to catch them. And in that time, the, the, the slaves have been taken away through a tunnel beneath the goblin, beneath the, the, the goblin mound across the river into a deeper part of the, a part of the woods. And when they got, and when the party got to that deeper part of the woods, um, the goblins had laid a little trap for them. It wasn't the goblins at that point. At that point it was, it was actually there. Now they're tangling with the actual snakes of the Alakir. There's this cult that the goblins working for, Colt summons, uh, the, the Colt basically leaves a trap where the party gets ambushed by Red Caps, which we've talked about many times, where it was a horribly overpowered encounter. So, but at that point, the party really couldn't turn back because they hadn't re- rescued their slaves. Then the Red Caps take the party directly to yeah. basically a ceremony where they're going to get, where they're going to get a, a sacrificed. And the party thrillingly fights their way out of that. Party at that point doesn't have, they, they have to be there. They, they were kidnapped and taken there. They get out. They have, they theoretically could go back to town. However, the party paladin knows Brother Maynard. And so the party paladin was actually sent to find a yeah. lost brother of the paladin hood. That's Brother Maynard. He's involved with the cult. The paladin will never give up that quest to find, to, to, to convince Brother Maynard to follow, to come home with him or take him home one way or another. So, yeah, it's kind of the illusion of choice. No, yeah, and then that's good stuff. That then was how you used the backstory to then fuel the quest because then Tom's character, Sir Morton, his backstory fell completely in line with my cleric where now I'm completely like, I completely support whatever Sir Morton wants to do. And I'm right there with him and I'm urging the party onwards because now that's what my character would do. And then it kind of feeds itself with the adventure. So now in the, so I did some similar things in the other campaign that fell apart. It's just the players didn't buy into it as much. They all had reasons to want to keep going. I had introduced uh, later on, I introduced some background villains, some things from their own, from, from one of the players' backgrounds, but you know, it doesn't always work. And it is kind of a question of, well, what makes it interesting, right? You know, on the one hand, I can get, make sure there's always reasons you want to continue with your quest because you're being hired to do so, or there are things you want to investigate. But you still want to make sure the party doesn't decide to chuck it and leave along the way. Um, one of the mistakes I think I made was some of the things I did were probably too hard and a little too plodding, a little too slow. No, no, what do you try not to do in an adventure? I would avoid have it suck. I try not to have it suck. Genius. That is fantastic. <laughs> um, I would avoid trying to throw out, as I said, background information that's not relevant mm. or can get the players to be lost in uh, being lost on what your hooks are. Uh, I would try to avoid laborious combats, uh, difficult riddles. I've come across them with the like, <laughs> oh yeah, it looks like this. And I'm like, they're never 
going to get this. I hate and resolution so, games. I'm just telling you, I hate them. Bad news. I've got plenty of them left. Yeah, and, I, uh, I, I, I have issues with them. Well, the trick with the riddles hard. is making them so there's only one answer. Like the one we had, I still right. swear the, I swear it had two answers. The answers we went with, but then there was also black eyed peas. I think was a logical answer. What do you do? Yeah, they it, solved it the could riddle. could have been a band. You're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> And I feel this is also very critical. The rewards have to be there, but it's difficult to quantify what a good reward is. Is the reward really moving the story uh, and the players like that? Then awesome. Your players want to level. Are they looking for treasure? If so, what kind of treasure? Um, are they looking to reach a goal where like this villain needs to go and they've been hunting them and that is the the, the kind of like that victory is the reward in itself uh sometimes even plot information can count how many encounters like how how many maybe encounters is the wrong word but how many scenes do you try to put in an adventure that really depends i mean again am i gonna i mean i've done adventures that literally could have been one session and some of them could be many more they could be stretching um you know, across a quarter of an entire story arc. So that that's 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 tough to nail down. And also what kind of encounters, like role-play encounters. Like, you know, I'm very heavy on nonviolent solutions. I'm like, all right, Roderick, start talking. You know, yeah, you want to fight all the frost giants? You want to fight the trolls? Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe someone has something intelligent to say to you. Um, may, maybe you can trick someone to slip them up and get them to reveal something. I feel like your character, uh, Dave, in my game, if like that, like that is really your hook. Like either I would hook you with knowledge pertinent to your character, for example. Absolutely. Uh, I I would say, hey, th- this is about your family's curse, or like if I'm getting you involved in this, like here's an opportunity for you to discuss someone. That's talk talk plot points with someone. It could be like someone from the Zentarum, or it could be a demon trapped in a circle. Go butter them up. Yeah, which I've done multiple times. <laughs> you know what, what strikes me about this conversation is I've asked a, like I keep like I've asked a few questions about how do you build your encounter, what do you do with it, how many sessions. Every answer has come back to how do you make sure your players stay motivated. Do you feel like that's kind of the core of why you're doing an adventure? You know, is 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 it just is, is it is it really is that like ninety percent of what you focus on is keeping players motivated and interested? I certainly don't wouldn't want. You know, this applies to a business model. It's it's easier to maintain the momentum of the business than to restart it. And I think that can actually apply right here. Like if your if your party is clicking, they're firing in all cylinders, they have good chemistry, then I think that's absolutely priceless. Like I cannot undersell the value of having that when your players are ready to go in there and be the A-team and just take this combat apart, this situation apart, they're going to go in there and they're, they're all working together and everyone's engaged. What about you, Dave? Anything, uh, is that like really your main focus when you're building an adventure? Just keep the party engaged? Uh, I like to, to, if I'm, if I'm creating something, I like to create, if I'm running something that's already done, I, I like to run it in the same way where I want to make it so it is engaging or has the ability to be engaged with, um, to provide enough that it fires up some of the people's imaginations. Some players are very self-motivated. Some are less so. Uh, hopefully you have a mix. <laughs> um, mm. And uh, so, yeah, but I think w- what you were asking really is, I don't know. I don't think it's completely my job to make sure that the 
the adventure goes off. Just like it's not our job to make sure the session works or the the schedules or anything else. It's it's everybody's. But there is a level of responsibility on the DM side since you are crafting the the adventure in the or, or the world or whatever it might be. So yeah, I want to have some things that are going to be engaging for people. You know, I want to have it be a fun time, something that was enjoyable to spend time doing you know we've we've gone all this way we haven't talked at all about kind of what is maybe the main feature of adventure which is your climax your villain yeah what do you do to make an interesting villain so i know for me at the end of my adventures there tend to be one of two things it's either a mcguffin you know and i shamelessly say that because like as i said sending and sending sending the woodstock wanderers through the through the woods has been really a matter of okay find out what happened to the slaves escape from getting sacrificed go get new we- go get better magic weapons to help you fight the cult go get even better magic weapons than the item that used to keep this thing asleep <laughs> there's two fetch quests they got admit as little i found a little bad that i went with go get weapons to go get more weapons i'm not sure that's my finest moment as a dm um but it has been it's been they've led to some good adventures and now it's been their quest to get back so that brother maynard uh so so that sir so that the paladin sir morton can confront brother maynard and try to bring him back and so the party can try to stop this cult from of course, ending the world. Because what self-respecting cult is not trying to end the world? I mean, really, it's got to be your goal. Here, right? here. Get a ton of power, end the world, and skip off before anyone can before you die with it. Yeah, um, if you're not, you're just you're just you're setting your sights. You're not you're living your best life. It in, you know. <laughs> you're not living your best cult life. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Right. So, so that's been, I mean, so those have been kind of the things that have kept people moving along. The villains haven't really shown up again in a while. There was the there was the anti-paladin brother Maynard who was going to sacrifice them. That was a good, good encounter. The party really got into it. Thrilling. Um, since then, it's mostly been kind of faceless bad guys, faceless villains. You know, they're fighting against forces of darkness from a certain point of view and trying to recover these 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 items from lost catacombs so it's been that kind of thing a little more indiana jones without you know where there are the nazis but he's kind of they kind of got to get back to go stop the nazis first they have to get the artifacts first what do you guys do for like your your climax of your villain what are you trying to like like what do you think makes a good goal for an adventure and a villain that drives it on dave you want to try that first uh i'm gonna fall back on one of my my go-to response uh depends on what i'm running uh if i'm running cursed strong which i am this coming Friday at six. You got a classic villain there, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there. It is right. It's in the <laughs> fucking name. Like, there, there's not a lot that I have to do there for that. But there is a lot in the rest of the world to make the little bads, you know, because there's multiple adventures within this. Um, I I say uh, I will go back to this. Read your monster manuals or whatever other reference books uh, for your system that you're using. The lore that people spend time writing. I remember when I read through the monster manual. Cover to cover. And I I had like seven different campaigns built already just from what they were. They're telling you exactly why they're there for the big bad. So if there's something you want to use, if you want the mind flayer to be your your big bad, go read the four paragraphs and you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is I can, this is exactly what I'll do. And I'll have this and they can, do, you know, um, I remember Mike Shea wrote a whole article about how he had a a first to 20th level campaign based completely off Knowles. And it actually sounded sounded incredibly exciting because there's so much to the Knoll lore, you know, but you have to read the lore to get it. Um, I mean, and you've got, now that you have Yenefu at the top of it, 
Yeah. And I think also, does a Baphomet also factor in there somewhere? You can take right. them right up to the demons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they're all the demons, and then that could that could run into the blood wars and whatever, whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. If you want to use a certain monster, check it out, and you'll have a whole adventure based solely off the lore from that creature. You know, alone. Um, if you're running a mob, though, like I said, flip to the back. Who's the big bad? Why are they there? What can they do? And then and then go back to the front and, and flesh it out. But know who the big bad is. That's a very good point, Dave. Uh, when my friends would all show up and be like, Tony, run a module, uh, I wouldn't go in the DMG and go look at treasure. I would go to the monster manual and start picking out monsters. I think Absolutely. your monsters mm-hmm. are, are, your, are the core of this. If you know, people want to say that there's too much combat, well, there's got to be some combat, unless you're in a very specific style of campaign outright. Uh, your villain, to keep this this show running, uh, just like the hooks should, like with Dave's game, with Strahd. We're want, like, Strahd has screwed with us to a point, but we're wandering around and everything around us is effed up because he's had his hands in it to some extent. So he, he he has this repressive effect on everything that we've come across so far. Um, and you're not going to probably get a nearly as developed villainous Strahd in your mod, but, uh, you know, you, you still need your character motivation. Like, what has he done? Why do the players care to take this guy down? Did he destroy right. the village? Is he going to destroy the village? Um and if that's not there, then no matter how many powers he has, it's it it, it doesn't gel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm really taking away as we talk through this is I clearly don't put enough thought into what makes a good adventure. I'm building a world. I'm having. I'm, I'm building dungeons. I'm building encounters, and I do want to spend a little more, put a little more thought into kind of the you know, what makes a self-contained single arc of the story uh, with the beginning, a middle and the end and challenges in between Tony, as you say, you don't necessarily, you know, you, you probably need some combat. I would actually also say you need, you need conflict. There's certainly capable, there's certainly ways to build adventures that don't necessarily have conflict. They don't have necessarily have combat, but they have to have conflict. You have to be fighting something in some way, including if it's with your words or trying to win people over or something. I mean, you can have it very role-playing focused, but I still think you need that conflict. I think, you know, your classic plot architecture is Johnny gets his ass caught in a bear trap and his adventures and getting himself out. That is like simple <laughs> beginning, middle, and end. The beginning is compelling, personally affecting. The the character's got to be it has to be sympathetic, and their problems need to be sympathetic. Their adventures in getting themselves out need to be interesting. It can't be simple. It can't be something they can just get themselves out of easily. They need to go. They have to go look for something or get some help or something. And then they have to fight the thing, overcome their challenges, and then emerge victorious with theoretically some kind of reward, even if it's just that their asses aren't caught in a bear trap. I think uh, that was, wasn't that the original adventure that was in the red box? I think it was the, I think that I don't was, think had many bear traps in the red I think box. That was one, it, it was one of the ones that TSR produced. I think Johnny gets his In the sample module, they introduce you, uh, like, is there, like, w- like walking you through, like, this choose your own adventure style in the red box with, yeah how the die rolls work. And they're like, oh, okay, so you're in the first room, and then you meet a cleric, and you make a friend, and then she dies. That's how that goes. 
I, I remember I, I actually can kind of see the map in my mind. And I remember that was like a it was like you went into like a keep. You went into the kind of the dungeons under the keep. And I remember then there was like natural caves where someone had, had kind of dug their way into the keep, if I remember. That, that's, that's what I remember of that red box, uh, the red box adventure. I know I ran it a few times. I tried to at least. Um, but yeah, I think I want to pay more attention to kind of how am I, how am I structuring my arcs so that within the long session, within the long campaign, within the world, you know, once I know that I have the party on a path they're following, you know, give them the beginning and middle and the end, which we've kind of had almost by accident, but I'm noticing, you know, there aren't very many kind of, there've been a couple middle, you know, little bad kind of villains like the hobgoblin, like the goblin you guys are chasing who, who did eventually morph into a hobgoblin as you guys leveled up. Surreptitiously, he just got more militant. Um, oh, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he had just been hanging out there the whole time. He was a goblin to begin with. Goblin Jim hit the. Bench. So if we ran into him too quick, too early, he would have still been a goblin <laughs> or a goblin boss. He was so. always a goblin with like hobgoblin style gear. Oh. And then as you guys were leveling up, I turned him into a hobgoblin. Did more, you know, he really, it was just a change behind the scenes, you know. He was still kind of a bigger commanding goblin. He was always a goblin that kind of acted Slow a little like a hobgoblin. Time. Schrodinger's encounter until we Schrodinger's open the box. Right it doesn't there, yep. matter what he is. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if your level's one through three, is a goblin. If your level's four through six, he's a hobgoblin. <laughs> so that's, you know, but I want to try to do more of that. I want to try to try to introduce more of this kind of, okay, well, what, I'm pretty good at getting the party on the beginnings. What makes a good middle? I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty good at that. But what makes a good ending? So the party feels a little more like they just beat someone significant. I thought you guys were going to beat your first dragon, but you didn't. You ran away from it instead. So yeah, I think that's that's something I want to work. Which is another way of beating one, just to let everyone know escape. that it's also it's, a way to beat one. Is, is run through a portal? Is escaping with your tail between your legs truly running big. sideways like Wario through that portal? Yep, job. it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, guys. So we've been talking about this for a little bit, and I think we've co we've covered some decent ground as far as what makes a good adventure. And for me, at least, I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna think about what you know how can I make my homebrew adventures a little more adventury. And a little less, hey, you just stumble into the next level, to the next set of scenes in this campaign. So, final thoughts. You know, what do you guys want to leave them with? What, what are your, what are your final takeaways on how to make a good adventure, and maybe even how you could be doing your own better? Even if it's a module, it's three to five games. It's it's two games. Look for your opportunities to uh, tap into character investments. Look into ways to play into their motives. Make the villain have if it's just that simple where they're going to start off and then run to a villain at the end who they must overcome, then make that reasoning matter to them. Mm. That I think that is, that's super important. Watch your rewards. Why you don't want to saturate everybody. You know, honestly, I felt that I've, I've, there's times I've given out rewards that were too soft and people are like, okay, great. So we just killed the Hydra. We each got a cupcake. This is mm. wonderful. Thanks. And, that, that that's that's tough too you have to kind of like you know look for an opportunity to pick up the momentum there as well and uh watch, watch the depths of your plot hooks because if your plot hook is like you know or if you're me and i throw out nine hooks they're like okay well i got six of them great right and i'm like well, ah, ah. but if you just look at page four of my notes you'll just see <laughs> clearly how this all oh, dave's got his board with the ribbon all there um <laughs> Reiterate, <laughs> reiterate that if you're gonna do that, uh, come back. Come, don't be afraid to say a few things over again. Maybe the adventure—that's maybe one of the things where I think of what makes an adventure. The adventure is time to focus. 
right? It's time to narrow in on one thing the party's trying to do and carry them through that one thing. That's true. Your main story arc has got all the plot hooks. This is just, should be maybe a hook and a subplot, too, if you're going to do that. Overall, I'm going to say uh, read. Do your D&D homework. Uh, but as we kind of broke it out, so we kind of broke it out, just four things here. Uh, your hook, you have to have a hook for the adventure. You have to bring people in. We talked about multiple ways to do that. Uh, you know, the the simple jobs board thing. Uh, hiring, having the, the, literally having an NPC hire them to do a job. Uh, having one of the PCs have to hire them, Ocean's Eleven style, and assemble the best team. Um, whatever, maybe their backstory gives you an idea for a hook. Uh, then they have to have that goal, which kind of the hook points towards, or it might lead them to the bigger goal, which gives them a reason to pursue that to then finally lead up to your big bad. But what I was saying with reading is one, like I said, read your monster manual, read your Volos, Morton Canaan. There's tons of information in there that will give you nothing but uh, ways to structure an adventure and why these things would be there. But two, go back. You don't have to run them, but go back and download some of the PDFs of the 1A and 2E modules. Because I think that's where it really had its shot. That was the adventure, right? It was a set beginning, middle, end resolution that then allowed it to open up to something else. But it was self-contained. Read those. Yeah. See how they built them, uh, especially some of the classics. And it will give you a lot of ideas as to how to kind of build an adventure style. And and read on your own. Read your books. Read, Watch your movies. Watch your TV shows. That They're all nothing but adventures like we started talking about. You know, Lord of the Rings and Avatar and Raiders of the Lost Ark. All this stuff is just adventures, and you know, it might give you ideas as how you can how you can build that tension and and have something that's that's a clear cut beginning, middle, end for people. Absolutely. So. All right, and I guess for me, you know, uh, if you're gonna start, you know, so your adventure, like we were just saying with Tony, your adventure is the point at which your campaign starts to focus. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Schrodinger's, you know, Schrodinger's box, Schrodinger's cat, the idea that if there's a there's a vial in the, you know, the cat's in the box and there's a vial with poison in the box and the vial of poison may or may not break, then the cat is both alive and dead while it's in the box. Well. This is the point at which you open your box. You find out if your cats are alive or and you decide whether your cats are alive or dead. This is the point where you're going to go, okay, you, the, the party has decided what they want to do if you're in one of my games or you've decided what you're going to hook them with. You're going to give, you're going to clarify what you want the party to do. Mm-hmm. So it's really clear to them what is the adventure they're going on so they can go focus and chase that thing and, and stop maybe trying to seduce barmaids or, you know, plant crops or whatever else they're trying to do in your game. <laughs> so the adventure is when you want to bring them to focus, crystal clear plot hook farming the rpg <laughs> i'm up for it you know I, I can build some plot hooks around farming you got to go catch that rascally rabbit so you, you focus crystal clear plot hooks you get them into the thing that you want them to do i think you want to think about three to six sessions does feel about right for an adventure that god knows i've taken them longer uh you want to move them probably through at least some kind of you want a dungeon of some sort even if this is just a dungeon is is a is an open court where there's a lot of intrigue going on but i think in an adventure you want to take your players away from you know away from the away from kind of what they're used to and into somewhere where they've got to go acquire or go chase a thing or beat somebody go face a challenge you want to you want to take them into the world of adventure which is a dungeon or 
where the quest the quest environment they're going into, or even if it's like I said, like a court, if they're going into courtly intrigue, that in itself should feel like a different environment they're going into. Some interesting challenges. Think about the monsters you want to play with. Get them in there, you know, because you're only going to have the party at that that level for so long. So if your party's level seven, you want to roll out your CR seven and eight monsters. That's the time to do it. So know what you want to use and get them in there. And the thing I really want to work on for myself is having a satisfying villain in conclusion. And I do think the end of your adventure is one, when they probably beat some kind of villain they're going to remember. And two, they get some rewards, magic items, gold, whatever. The end of an adventure should at least reward the characters with something more than just XP, but something tangible they take home that makes them feel like they really did something. Because I think, you know, Tony, you've talked a lot about moving the football. And this is it, right? I mean, when you go through an adventure, that's when you really feel like you're moving the football. Absolutely. They should they should definitely leave with that sense of accomplishment in one of those ways we discussed, whether it's gold, items, plot device, uh, defeated enemy, something along those lines. Preferably kind of, at the all end, four. Then it might be. Yeah. That's what did. Preferably all four, if you can. Yeah. I think that's really the most, is that especially for someone, because I've been thinking about this just real quick. I know we were final thoughting it, but it's something I've been thinking with the Strahd campaign because it's this, it's this somewhat of a long arc, right? Uh, adventure. So I'm really trying to build in enough things so that when you guys have invested the time, even if you're not, you know, getting all the stuff every session, but when you've invested the time in the adventure, it pays off in the end, like, Oh man, that, you know, like, mm on multiple levels, not just something shiny, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for tonight, guys. Thanks a lot. I've had a great time talking with you. Absolutely. Good stuff, guys. And thank you all for joining us. As I said in the beginning, we really appreciate your support. Three Wise DMs has been taking off on Facebook, Twitter, and throughout the podcast platform. So tell your friends, get them to, get them to sign up. And if you're listening to us on one of those platforms, we would sure appreciate a five-star rating. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week on Three Wise DMs. Three Wise DMs.